the post office. Now, this is totally bogus, 100% fraud. So here's the truth. You ready? The Trump administration does not want mail-in balloting. Currently, six states allow everybody to vote by mail. They send ballots to you. Those states are Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, Washington State, and now New Jersey. I can tell you without any guessing or speculation, New Jersey simply cannot do mail-in voting. Trenton is incapable of it. I don't have anything to do with the post office. It's just a chaotic place. There's political corruption in Jersey. It has been since the War of 1812. Okay, it's just the way it is. I don't know the other states. Uh, Utah, the people tell me it works okay. But the Trump administration does not want mass mail-in voting. Now, let's separate it out. If you can't go to the polls, you request an absentee ballot. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I've had to do that. But I always show up to polls if I can't. That's different than mail-in voting. Now, mail-in voting is basically you request a mail-in, they'll send it to you, all right? But you can vote up to Election Day, all right, in many cases. In some cases, it's a week before. But no matter what it is, the post office is responsible for getting your ballot to the polling place in the capital of your state. Okay, well, 95% of the time it happens. They get it there, but 5% they don't. So then every vote counts, and we have to wait, and there's no postmarks, and it's chaos. Come on, everyone knows that. And the worst part about it is, in the states that have, everybody gets a mail-in vote. The parties, primarily the Democratic Party, I have not heard the Republicans do this, but I'm sure they do. I haven't heard it. They go down the list and they isolate people who can't speak English, who are elderly people, and then the bundlers show up and they knock on the door. Just like I had a census guy knock on my door today and I said, hey, I already did my census. And he goes, no, no. I said, yes, yes, out of here. Because I'm not going to give them the personal information they want to this guy who I don't even know. Anyway, the bundlers knock on the door and they said, you get a ballot? And then there's Emma, 90 years old, go, oh, I think I did. I let, and then the guy says, oh, no, let me help you fill it out. And they just check, check the Democratic candidate. All right, Emma signs, or the guy signs for her, throws it in the envelope, the guy takes it. All right, that's called bundling. In Nevada, it's legal now. It's legal. They snuck that through in the middle of the night. Well, you can imagine. What's going to happen in places where people don't speak English, they don't understand, elderly people, the bundlers are everywhere. So the Trump administration knows this. They know that the Democratic machine has that locked. Again, Republicans may do this, but I'm not aware of it. I've never heard of it on the GOP side. So Trump doesn't want mail-in voting. And so now he's saying, you know, the post office is a little chaotic, and it, it is. Post office lost $9 billion last year. It's not because of the men and women who work at the post office. It's because of email. Everybody emails. They don't put the stamp on anymore. 
That's why they lost $9 billion. But as the debts mount, then they start to cut back and cut. You know how it is. So the, uh, I thought I had that thing. I'm sorry about that. I thought I had it turned off. Obviously, though, this is what it ruined the post office. It's not going to ruin this program. I'm going to turn it off, which I thought I had. And there it is. Okay. Um, so anyway, this whole thing is a bogus thing. Now, what's going to happen is the House will pass some kind of crazy thing. I don't know, even know what it is. But in the end, they'll bail out, the federal government will bail out the post office. They'll pay the $9 billion and get the post office kind of solvent. And now Trump's got a new postmaster in there. He's under attack and on and on and on and on. I'm keeping my eye on it. Just know what's in play. The Democratic Party wants everyone to vote mail-in because it's a lot easier to manipulate the vote. And that's the truth. Okay. Um, let's go to our second story of the day which is the polling. <laughs> now, the polling is phony. Every one of them. Because it's skewed as far as who's asked and the wording of the questioning and all of that. But I have to report things in the news, and these polls are in the news. So ABC poll has Biden up by 11. NBC poll has Biden up by nine. CNN poll has Biden up by four. And the margin of error is almost four. And in the CNN poll, it was 31 Democrat, Republicans 27. That's four. So it's a tie in a CNN poll. Now, CNN doesn't know what to do. It's almost like Fox. So most of the Fox polls are terrible for Donald Trump. Fox is sitting there, most 95% of Fox's audience, 95% are Trump supporters. <laughs> They're running out polls that make Trump look bad. So CNN's got the same problem that Fox has right now. Now, I don't know whether this poll's accurate. I do know that CNN polled 42% independents. Independents of what? Are they leaning left, leaning right? Who are they? You can be an independent and be the craziest loon in the world. We don't know. Um, the NBC poll, 31 Democrat, 28 Republican. That's close. That's, that's the way it should be. NBC uh, has uh, uh, Biden up by nine. So these polls don't matter now. Um, there is a report today that Pfizer, the big pharmaceutical company, will have some kind of vaccine by October. And that maybe somebody else will beat Pfizer to it in September. So all of these things are speculative. But if it happens, then any poll taken today evaporates. All right. So that's why you shouldn't get upset about the polling. Now, there's public polling, which I just told you about. And then there's internal polling, which we, the public, never see. I'm not supposed to see it, but I see it. All right, which is why you're watching me. So in the internal polling from the Trump Organization, the re-election campaign, it shows that Minnesota and Wisconsin, very close. Now, Trump carried Wisconsin last time, but Minnesota went to Hillary Clinton. But the Minnesotans and the Wisconsins, primarily white states, are so angry 
about the lawlessness and the violence of Black Lives Matter movement and Antifa and all that. There's a backlash in those states. So what does the president do? He goes to Minnesota and Wisconsin today. He knows those states could go to him. Now, Minnesota flips to him. That negates Michigan. Michigan looks like it's moving away from Donald Trump, although I'm not so sure that's going to happen. There's a law professor at Chapman University in Los Angeles named John Eastman. He's a constitutional lawyer. Okay, He says that Kamala Harris is not eligible to run for vice president because her parents were not citizens at the time of her birth in California. And this is now sweeping the right-wing precincts. It's bogus. There is no doubt that Article 2 of the Constitution specifies that anyone born here, natural born, here in the United States, is eligible to run for president or vice president. And not only that, if you are born abroad in a foreign country and your father or mother is a military person on assignment there, or you're in an embassy there, then that's United States territory. So Eastman is saying this. Newsweek prints it. The Twitter mob, Newsweek is out of business, essentially. It's an Internet thing. Um, Twitter mob descends. Newsweek apologizes. You know, the usual. Newsweek, uh, oh, sorry, we just wanted to raise questions, whatever it may be. If the Trump administration, I don't believe it will, embraces this, that will hurt them. Kamala Harris is as left-wing as they come, and I hope you read my column just posted, the Kamala factor. (laughs) Okay. Um, You don't get more left-wing than she is. You don't need this, this birther type stuff. You don't need it. What you need to do is tell the American people exactly who she is, which I do in this column. Just the facts. So anyway, I thought I would mention that. Now let's bring in Lauren Claffey. She is a Republican strategist, founder of Claffey Communications, former Assistant Secretary of Strategic Communications at Homeland Security. You agree with me about Eastman and the uh, birther stuff on uh, Senator Harris? Yeah, I do, actually. The the peril here is that Trump is going to turn off voters if he, especially suburban voters that have been turning away from him, if he embraces this too fully, right? But you can see a little bit what the campaign was doing here. Trump's comments about it this week uh, were open-ended. He kind of just raised it so we would all talk about it, acknowledge Eastman's column, and then left it for other people to go investigate. And I think that's kind of a play towards some of the voters that he's targeting in those states that you mentioned about the polling earlier, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, for example. A lot of those communities, uh, there's a big tension between the changing demographics in what are traditionally white working class communities. And so by raising this, Trump almost kind of points a little bit to the fact that, you know, maybe she's not one of us. She doesn't hold your values without saying it outright. Yeah, but I think there's a much better way to do that than to remind people that Donald Trump was behind the Obama birth stuff, um, which was totally bogus. And I don't think that did 
Barack Obama, as I write in the United States of Trump, I don't think it did Donald Trump, I should say, any good to do that, to be associated with that. Now, of all the polling, every poll that I've seen, and again, they're not reliable, but when trends emerge, they're worth discussing. Men are going to vote for Donald Trump. American men will vote for him over Joe Biden. But women are um, right now in the Biden camp, most of them. And that was true with Hillary Clinton as well. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, because, you know, I, the women that I know and that I talk with are not far left. They don't want to see the country um, demolished, which is what a Biden-Harris ticket would do, would demolish traditional America. Um, they don't want to see that. Yet they, they loathe Donald Trump so much that they're willing to cast the vote on the other side. Is that your experience? It is. I find that women voters, when I speak to them, are a little, one, I want to point out that they are mon not a monolithic, like, zombie group that all vote together. There's a lot of different shades of female in this country. Um, but two, they are a little bit more sensitive to the rhetoric that Donald Trump employs. His Twitter, for example, the things that he tweets appeals greatly to white males. They wish that they could say the same things. They love how hard-hitting he is. That is great fodder for them. Women, on the other hand, though, want a more civil discourse and want more um, conversation and civility in politics. And that's been a trend that we've seen over the course of you know the past couple of decades. So when they don't like him, a lot of the time it's in reaction to the words he uses, not necessarily the policies. The strategy of the Trump White House now is to try to get those women. And if you're an advisor, you know, they say Republican strategies. I don't know what that means. But if you're advising <laughs> President Trump on how to get more women to vote for him in an age where many people are frightened about covid, where the kids or some of them are going back to school, some of them aren't. Where do you tell him to focus? You know, at the end of the day, women are going to go, like most voters, with their hierarchy of needs. And so they're looking at security. They're looking at prosperity. They're looking at opportunities to succeed and be treated fairly in this world. And security and being able to provide for their families is going to be number one on that list every single time. So his greatest appeal to them is going to be by pointing out the lawlessness, lawlessness that's going on and how some of his policies will keep him uh, their families, their children safe, the health care that he, they can provide through the price transparency work that his administration is doing, all of these small things that make a difference in their everyday lives in providing care for their family. But see, that would work in a traditional year, Lauren, but now we don't have that because there is no security with COVID. There's fear. So that wipes out policy things like health care. I mean, it's still around, but it's not a paramount deal. And, you know, the Democrats are going to do you're going to hear this week. Trump's responsible for covid Trump this Trump covid 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 covid. That's what it's going to be. And a lot of women are buying it. Yeah, but that's assuming that it's still an issue in November, which is yet to be seen. I mean, as you pointed out, there's going to be vaccines coming and who knows where the hot spots are different areas of the country, you know, as we reach greater cured immunity, herd immunity will be in that situation. And then their focus is going to move to the economy and how they can get their finances back in order after yes, such a hit. I, I agree. And Trump still pulls it well there. If, if there's a vaccine that is viable, that will change everything. But if there is... And that people are willing to take. 
most people will take it. Um, but it still changes the psychology. So the fear dissipates a little bit. But if there is not, then you've got a fearful population in the middle of a recession going to vote for a weak candidate, Joe Biden, against the controversial candidate, Donald Trump. So anything could happen in that kind of a situation. Last word. Yeah, in that situation, I think Trump has a real problem because I don't think that people are voting for against Biden in this situation, in no. this environment. They are voting for against Trump. And so it's really up to him on what he does. All right, Lauren, thanks again for helping us out. We really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back. Let's bring in Bernard Whitman from New York City. He's a Democratic strategist, founder and CEO of Whitman Insight Strategies. I like that name, Insight Strategies. Insight is always a good thing. Do you see any Thank insight? You, Do you see any insight at the Democratic Convention the past two nights? I, I did. And, and first, unfortunately, I have to correct you. The yes. truth is viewership on TV, you're right, is down. Viewership on TV has been down for years and years and years. The NBA is seeing this. MLB is seeing this. Viewership on TV is down. But total viewership, actually, from the first night of the convention is actually way up. You're right. Only about 19, 20 million people viewed it on TV, but more than 10, 12 million viewed digitally, which was a huge explosion. Total viewership of the convention for night one is actually up. So I've got to correct you on that. And there's okay, a reason on, why people on, just aren't Bernard. watching TV that much anymore. Bernard. Who says that uh, that was the total viewership on Internet? Who says? Internet tracking sources. No, wait, 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 wait. Digital what? streaming. Look at, no, look no, at no. Give the, me the, the company. The, give me the company that calibrated. I, 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 don't, have my, okay. I don't have my sources so Bernard, for digital streaming in, right handy. But Bernard. if you look online, digital yes. streaming for the convention is way, way up. Okay, 29 million viewers Bernard, total. Love you. This is BS. Nobody calibrates. Yes, it is. Nobody calibrates that. Ad rates are not set on that. You can say that about anything at any time, any way. I'm all right. I'm pretty sure Listen, that I'm pretty sure the digital advertising sure, is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and so people are tracking that. So you can't say that. Nobody. Not, you can't say that's not true. No advertiser in the country buys on that kind of data because it's non-scientific. It's anecdotal. So I'm just going to, you can believe it, and it may be viewing true. everything, but viewing everything through the TV viewership lens is an anachronism that right. will lead all to I'm death. I mean, TV is, is dying. All I'm telling you is there is no drive, all right, to watch the Democratic convention. There isn't. Maybe they're watching highlights. Well, you don't know what they're watching. There is no electronic gizmos like Nielsen has to measure how long people watch on the internet. There's none of that. So let's just there are, be accurate. There are measures it. like unique visitors, digital streaming is measured. In individual websites. In individual websites, not across the board. So you'd have to add up, all right, 100, 200. And it hasn't been done yet. Okay. Now, the highlight of the Democratic convention for you a Democratic strategist, somebody who has insight so far. What was the best thing that we've seen so far? That's that's by far easy. And I may be uh, messing up her name, so apologies. But Kristen Urquiza, the young woman whose father passed away from COVID, who spoke on the first night, I thought made the single most compelling case and the most dramatic night 
uh, most, most dramatic moment of either night. Her father, as she explained, her only her father's only pre-existing condition was believing in Trump and believing that COVID was fake. He unfortunately contracted COVID because he didn't wear a mask. He wasn't paying attention. He didn't social distance and he died. And I think her speaking from the heart like that about how her father was failed by Trump and how the entire country has been failed by Trump in his response to COVID was the most dramatic and meaningful. And I think at the end of the day, this election, of course, is a referendum on the president. Re-elections always are. But it's a referendum on how well he has handled the pandemic and the resulting disastrous impact on business. And I think if you were a board member and you were assessing Trump's fitness for another contract year uh, as a CEO, you'd say, this guy has not done a great job. Why am I going to renew his contract? He's failed us miserably. Now, it's subjective, obviously, about how Donald Trump handled COVID. Um, But when you look at Joe Biden, and I have uh, extensively, he has not said one specific thing that he would have done differently. Maybe there would be a different tone, but it's basically I follow the science, I follow the science. But the one thing that Trump did that's provable is that he stopped the flights from China very early in the process at the end of January. And Biden criticized him for stopping those flights. So that's in stone. But I agree that the woman was emotional. She believes her father is dead because Trump wasn't um, passionate enough about telling people to wear masks or distance or whatever. And that's she's absolutely entitled to her opinion. But it's a subjective opinion. Now, um, tonight we have Kamala Harris who did not fare well in the primary system, all right? When she dropped out, she was polling at 3%. She was about fifth out of 23, so that was not, that was pretty good, actually. Relatively speaking, she was pretty good. When she dropped out, she was polling at 3%. That was real clear politics average. That's abysmal. So why now would you or any Democrat expect Senator Harris to lift the ticket because I think that she is the face of the new Democratic Party, or a one of the key faces of the new Democratic Party. What I want to hear from Kamala tonight is some insight into her background, her passions, what she cares about, who she is as a person, how she connects with people, and how she would actually help Joe Biden bring this country together. If you actually listen to last night, and I admit last night was a little boring, what did people talk about? They talked about courage. They talked about compassion. Empathy. They talked about kindness. They talked about caring. They talked about empathy. Why? Because this White House has been devoid of that. This White House has been intent on separating people, on dividing people, on hurling insults, on bringing bringing the country apart, not together. I think the biggest impact negatively of the Trump presidency, besides, of course, 170,000 people dead and a disastrous economic ruin because of the failure of his response to COVID, is the fact that the body politic has become coarse. It's become okay to be nasty. It's become okay to insult people. It's become okay to be a bully. That's not what America is about. And we wait, need to wait, change wait, that wait, with a change Bernard. in the White House. Bernard, for 20 years, I was insulted, attacked, smeared on a daily basis by the American left. For 20 years. So you can't. But you're a TV, you were a TV host. That, that, that's I'm a, a different. I, it's a different pundit. than the president being a bully. Okay. The president, the you're same not the president. Tactics. The president is a bully. The same tactics that you are deploring, and rightfully so, were used by the left on me for two decades. Somewhere. But I'm talking about the occupant of the White House. I'm not All talking right. about the person that has the biggest He's bully a rough guy. in the country. He's a rough he guy. Is. There's no doubt about it. 
He but I think that if, if you're going to sell the, po- the COVID thing, if you're going to sell it, then tomorrow night, Biden's going to have to say, this is what I would have done differently. He's going to have to. No, Monday this is Friday. what I will do differently. This is what I will do differently. Donald no, Trump, what he would have done. When COVID was already in the United States, claimed it was a Democratic hoax. The fact that he said that the virus, which has decimated this country, was a hoax, that alone. Well, then why did he stop the flight? Why did he stop the flights in China? Congratulations, Bill. He did one. He did one thing. Six but if he thought ago, it was a hoax, why did he stop the flights? This needs. This needs. This needs massive action on a daily basis. He's done one thing six or seven months ago that was far too little, far too late. All right. Um, if Biden doesn't get specific tomorrow night, all right, he's going to damage himself. If he gets specific and says, I would have done this or I would have done that. And if I'm elected, I'll do this and I'll do that. And it's very specific. All right. He could improve his situation among the independent voters. But if it's, well, I'm going to listen to the science, then it's going to be down the drain. Now, in the end, in the end, I believe that this election is going to be airtight. COVID is going to play a big role in it. That's an emotional thing. And you either believe that Trump did a good job or you don't. Um, But I don't think this is going to be a landslide for Joe Biden. And the three debates, the three debates, Biden better be on his game. And if he is diminished mentally, and I don't know whether he is or not, I know he's befuddled at times, um, then he'll lose. Last word. Uh, Look, I think the election is going to be very close, which is why... We need to get every Democrat, every independent, and every fair-minded conservative that is tired of Trump, that frankly wants to remake the Republican Party post-Trump. Trump is finished. Dump the weight, dump the anchor now, come over, join Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Let's get the country moving again, and then you can take four years to remake your party because your party is a laughing stock and a joke right now. All right, but if it were a laughing stock and a joke, as you just mentioned, it wouldn't be a close election, would it? It would be a landslide. Bernard, hey, well, always, I mean, good, always good uh, debating with you. Thank you. So I want to bring a guy who, uh, interesting guy, uh, Rob Smith is his name. He's got a book, Always a Soldier, Service Sacrifice Coming Out as America's Favorite Black Gay Republican. I didn't know... Mr. Smith, you were America's favorite, but I'll take your word for it. I read your book last night, and there are a number of things that I find interesting. Uh, Number one, I just want to tell everybody that um, at 17 years old, Mr. Smith uh, enlisted in the Army. Uh, He had a tough time in basic, but stuck it out. He uh, saw combat in Iraq. All right, spent four years in the Army, came out, uh, went to college. Army paid for it. Now, you, according to your book, and you correct me if I've got it wrong, but I did read it. I'm one of the few interviewers that, because most of them are lazy, you know that. But I read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had a, a, a childhood that had very little parental support. You raised in Akron, Ohio, pretty much on your own, a very early age, confused kid. All right. And that story is common in African-American precincts. You had your upbringing was what millions of other African-American kids have. Isn't that the root of a lot of the social problems in America? 
It, you know, Bill, it really is. Um, the reason why I talk so much in the book about the fact that I didn't have a father growing up in the home, really. Uh, my, my father wasn't around when I was a teenager. The fact that I went to failing public schools in Akron, Ohio. The reason I talk about a lot of this stuff and particularly why I came around to becoming a Republican and, and being in the conservative movement is because there are so many African-Americans who really do have that experience. And I want people to know that there is a different path. There is a different way to go than to just saying, I hate America. Um, racism is the problem. White people are the problem. All of that other crap that we hear from the left all the time. And a lot of the stuff that we'll be hearing every night this week from the DNC. So that is why I felt, I felt that it was so important to include that stuff in the book. If you were a speaker at the DNC convention this week and said just what you said, you'd be booed. A lot of African-Americans oh. would, would not, even though you went through it, would not listen to you. Why is that? Well, you know, they wouldn't listen to me because the, the African-American community has been so used by the left in the way that you cannot talk about these issues like fatherlessness. You cannot talk about these issues like culture. You cannot talk about these issues like the fact that the vast majority of African-Americans are killed by other African-Americans. We have a body count every weekend in Chicago that makes uh, everything else, including these African-American men, men that have been shot by police officers, it, it dwarfs that, you know what I mean? So you can't talk about these things because it, you are told that you're not supposed to say that in, in spaces where white people can hear. Because if white people can hear it, then all of a sudden, you know, we're talking out of school. This is the kitchen table talk. And you know, Bill, I get into the book uh, um, later on when I talk about the more political stuff. And I talk about how the Democrats and the left use um, African-American entertainers, rappers, athletes, ball players to push this idea that African-Americans are so oppressed in this country, but yet you have multimillionaires that are living the American dream pushing this idea that black people are oppressed in America. It just doesn't make sense. And I would be booed if I said these things because it goes against the narrative. It's really unfortunate. All right. We're having a little trouble with your uh, feed, but let me see if I can get one more question and we'll get Rod back. Um, your turning point in your life was in basic training when a sergeant, drill sergeant, gave you an opportunity to quit. You're having a lot of trouble. 90% of kids in your position, 17 years old, would have quit. You didn't quit. And therefore, your life dramatically changed for the better because the Army gave you structure. That's how I read it. Yes. Why didn't you quit? You know, I didn't quit, Bill, because I wasn't even sure if I believed in myself at that moment, but I knew that my drill sergeant was giving an opportunity and that he believed in me. And I knew that I could really stick it out. And one of the biggest gifts that I've ever gotten in my life from the United States military is that focus, is that courage, is that discipline that I got from basic training and that I got from military service. And this is the same focus and discipline that I take to every single aspect of my life. And I speak all the time about how much I love my military service and about how, by the way, military service is open to 
the vast majority of people who want to take that opportunity to serve the country Absolutely. in that way. Always been and that I've way. Had, and yeah, um, and I've had and, people right. tell me that if that, you know, you did it because you're special, well, I can't do that. And I say, well, why not? Why can't you do that? And you weren't that special. You were you were an overweight kid with no support system um, who went in and toughed it out. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like you were floating in there, the son of a colonel. I mean, you were on your own. And that's what really impressed me about the book, uh, Rob. It's called Always a Soldier, Serve and Sacrifice, coming out as America's favorite black gay Republican. Um, and uh, I want everybody to check it out. And it's a pleasure to talk with you, Rob. We'll have you back, okay? Thank you so much, Bill. Have a good one. All right. Cheers. All right, let's do some mail. Uh, Louise, sorry, Bill, I don't agree with you that Republicans should mention black people that have been killed by police. At the convention, they should mention the number of police that were killed by minorities. So you want the Republican Party to alienate the entire African-American, Hispanic communities? You think that's a good strategy? I don't. Uh, Ted, I see the DNC, Governor Cuomo, called uh, COVID the European virus. What sort of world are we living in now when a politician can twist the truth so much? He's just politically correct. It's a European virus. <laughs> it's so much. If I, were European, if I were a European, I'd be mad. ZD, concierge member, means ZD has access to me directly. What was Ms. Cortez trying to do? She never mentioned Joe Biden. Instead, mentioned something about Bernie Sanders' nomination. It wasn't about Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. It was about her. She's a communist. She wants you to know it. And now you all do. Harold Levine, Blue Ridge, Georgia. Bill, you were being too kind, calling John Cage's delusional. The man is an outright liar. It's so sad to see our government has become so polarized. There seems to be no room for statesmanship anymore. I don't think uh, Governor Casey is a liar. I know him. I don't think so. I think you, you are being too harsh. Delusional? Yeah, on this issue. Bob Lamphere, Quaker Hill, Connecticut. Great segment tonight, Mr. O, fact-checking the three DNC speakers, Kasich, Mrs. Obama, and Cuomo. The 25,000 murdered blacks under President Obama is not only chilling, it is eye-opening. Absolutely. It's an amazing statistic. Diana Derbyshire, Columbus Grove, Ohio. Bill, your message is spot on. You explain things so well. I always look forward to seeing the new spin news. I wish you were our president. Be careful what you wish for, Diana, but thank you very much. Ryan Millich. Duncanville, Texas. I asked my friends why they voted for Barack Obama. They said that they wanted to be part of history and vote for the first African-American president. Do the voters have that same enthusiasm about Kamala Harris? No. I don't believe Kamala Harris is a factor in this election. It could be wrong. Rebecca Ho, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Is the federal government still talking about another stimulus check? Yes. There'll be something that you get in the fall. Bruce Lemmer, Delray Beach of Florida. Today I heard Chris Wallace describe Michelle Obama as the most popular politician. I'm confused. I thought politicians were those elected to public office. No, you can be involved in politics and not be elected. And I agree uh, with Mr. Wallace. If Michelle Obama were heading the Democratic ticket instead of Joe Biden, 
I don't think it'd be close. Again, I could be wrong, but boy, she has a following. Dolores, Bill, Killing Jesus was the best book you have written. It taught me the real reason why Jesus was killed. Forever invaluable to me. Thank you. You know, with Killing Crazy Horse coming out on September 8th, and again, please pre-order it, get it first. All other eight killing books will be back in play, okay? And also The United States of Trump, which will be out in paperback very soon. All of my books will be front and center again. But Killing Jesus was the most difficult book that Martin Dugard and I had to write because the research was so difficult. It's a history book. Now, Killing Crazy Horse, I'm going to tell you about it um, in about 10 days. And I'm tired of the lies being told about my country in the historical realm. I am tired of that. And you read Killing Crazy Horse, The Merciless Indian Wars in America, every word of it is true. And you will know how your country is forged and be able to combat all that anti-American propaganda. It's not a perfect nation, but there are explanations about why things happen. Killing Crazy Horse out September 8th. Now, if you become a premium member on BillOReilly.com, you get it free. Become a lifetime premium or concierge member, you get all nine books, all nine killing books free. Remember, the most successful book series in history, pardon the pun. You'll never hear that in the media. 17 million copies in print. And there's a reason. Killing Crazy Horse. Word of the day, do not be vacuous when writing to me, Bill at BillOReilly.com. Okay. So I have some stuff to show you. First, we have a stand-up sticker. Stand up. You put it on your front lawn. All right? Stand up for your country. Look at that. That is great. That is so good. We'll send them to you. They cost a little bit. We're keeping it down. Stand up for your country. You put it on your lawn. It's not a political statement. It's basically, I love my country. So we got the stickers. Now we have the stand-up thing. This is great. I love this. Then, stand up for your country hats. <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's get them. It's really good. These are, this is a great campaign. We love our country. It's not political. We love our country. We don't kneel. We stand for our country. You buy Crazy Horse, we'll send you a free sticker. Stand up for your country. So pre-order Crazy Horse, bang, you get a sticker. Free. All right? Hats are made in America. No more China. Made in America. We'll pay more for them. And they're nice. Bayside, made in the USA. Boom. Uh, no caterwauling. <laughs> no caterwauling when writing to me. All right, the final thought of the day. Um... I get a lot of letters saying, oh, my daughter, my son, my in-laws, whatever, they see it different, it's causing a lot of tension. Don't talk politics in the family. You can make a point if they ask you a question, back it up with facts. That's what we give you every night here, facts. But if they don't accept the facts and it's and I just, okay, that's fine. We respect your opinion because we do. We traditional Americans respect opinions. We do. If they're loons, they're loons. You can still love a loon. Maybe I'll get a bumper sticker, love a loon. <laughs> but don't, don't let it impact the family, you know? You don't need to do that. 
stick to your beliefs, all right? If they ask, tell them why you believe what you believe. But if they say something, other go, just, I won't respect that. And that's it. That's it. Mom said, don't talk about politics and religion. Mom's right. I'll see you soon.